Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And we are still coming to you from the SEAT Conference. Ooh, um, here we are. I think this is our fourth episode that we're doing here from St. Louis. Um, it is. Yeah, so if these are if these are uh, consecutively consecutive posted, you know, one week at a time, people are going to think we've been hanging out at Seek for a whole month. Seek was only uh, four or five days, four days, right? Yeah, but it takes that long. It takes oh. that long to digest a five day conference with does. you know just seventeen thousand people here. You know, dozens and dozens of speakers, well, just a, dozens of events. We didn't you know we didn't necessarily say this with Father Father Burns and uh, Father Monahan, but so Focus Missionaries for our listeners who don't know, mm-hmm. um, it started. In the 90s, like right. 25 years ago or so. Right, 25 right. years ago this year. Okay, exactly, yeah. 25th anniversary. Um, usually post-college grads who go back to college campuses, they fundraise their own salary, and they're on mission to evangelize, really in the new evangelization to to evangelize those students, maybe who are not Christian, not Catholic, but especially those who are kind of falling away. Right. Everybody knows, family members we've been talking about who fall away from the faith. And Focus is one of many different kind of ministries, but really like kind of the premier right now in college campuses in the Catholic sphere um, who are doing this good work of evangelization. So then they have these, they have small discipleship groups, Bible studies, a kind of one-on-one discipleship formation, but then these big national conferences mm-hmm. that have been going on for a few years now. Um, right. 17,000 people here. Yeah, um, it's no joke. As we mentioned before, it's no joke and it's wonderful to see. It's really wonderful to see for me the the faith of the students. You know, we go to Steubenville conferences a lot. We work with high school students all the time. High school students have a lot of openness and eagerness, but it's really great to see how even in a first the first few years of college, so much growth and maturity and formation starts to happen. And even at the mass, right, the level of kind of reverence that you can see from the students mm-hmm. who are approaching the Eucharist with a real faith. Yeah. It's encouraging. Yeah, the liturgies here have been gorgeous. They really have been. Yeah. Well, Schumer's done a wonderful job, and the seminarians from Kenrick. But yeah. just today, to that the choir. Uh, yeah, they did <laughs> the the Lauritsen Omanu Mysterium as a second communion, or rather, probably a fourth communion hymn, actually, and uh, it was really stunning. I didn't get to hear that because I was uh, one of the first to distribute communion. Oh, okay. I marched to the top of the the dome, okay, and I was like back in the bowels of the you know mm-hmm. former Ram Stadium here, right. Um, Know that you could hear a pin drop today during these yes. masses with seventeen thousand people. It's really been stunning. Archbishop Brolio did a wonderful job today, mm-hmm. preaching um, as we did a, a requiem mass, a memorial ma- a mass for um, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, whose own funeral liturgy was in St. Peter's Square earlier this morning. Uh, obviously, a time zone yeah. delay, but uh, something that the Universal Church is all doing today as we record this. Uh, really beautiful liturgies. One of the things, Father, that I have found really, really helpful and beautiful about what Focus does at these SEEK conferences is there's a lot of pre-evangelization work, I think, in some of the topics that are delivered. Yeah. Um, the topics tell that us, were, Tell us what that means, a little pre-evangelization. Yeah, so if you're going to go evangelize somebody, you're obviously going to want to like, give them the gospel. You're going to want to give them the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior of the world, he's died for your sins, and that salvation is available to you uh, should you want to be one of his disciples and actually you know, win the prize of eternal life. Um, and not just win the prizes if it's a, a, an accomplishment that you do, but actually just entering into divine love, right? 
But before you ever get to that point, before you just kind of launch into Bible and Catechism 101, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, you know preparation work that really needs to be done, whether that's cleaning up people's addictions, whether that's um, maybe dealing with some false notions of what the church is or false notions of what religion is. Um, but there's also a lot of personal healing that goes on. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, when you go to Jesus, his grace provides ongoing healing. So you wouldn't want to try and separate healing and saying, well, I'm going to get myself all healed, and then I'll go find Jesus. No, walking with the Lord provides its own sense of healing. But nevertheless, before we ever get deep into catechism and Bible study and worship experiences, um, I've been really impressed you know, with the way that so many Sikh speakers will try and break down some of the barriers that keep people from that deep relationship with God. And that is some of the pre-evangelization work that I think really needs to be happening. There's an awful lot of people here who are already committed Catholics. Uh, but nevertheless, to, to take that full step to really be a, an on-fire missionary disciple, there's some pre-things that have to be done. Mm-hmm. Some initial groundwork to shore up one's foundation really has to be accomplished. And I think they do a good job of trying to highlight that here. Uh, Father John Burns and Sister Miriam James Highland are known for going around the country doing joint uh, speaking options or speaking uh, topics about the need for forgiveness. And I was really struck by Monsignor James Shea. He's the, a priest of the Diocese of Bismarck, North Dakota, the president of the University of Mary in Bismarck. He gave one of the very first talks this week to all the men of the conference. And he did an excellent job just laying out, I think, some really foundational things that men need to hear. Um, they're equally applicable to women, but he applied them in a very masculine context towards the growth of holiness for these men. And without some of the acknowledging some of these things, it's really hard to just kind of launch deep into well, what's your prayer life like and yeah. what's your moral life like and how, how well do you know the catechism, right? right. These, these might sound like incredibly foundational things, um, but until they're really um, unpacked and, and appropriated for oneself, it's hard to kind of make the gospel really sing in a person's life. The, one of the things that he was focusing on was that some of the three, the, he, what he was calling the, like the three lies that come up in our lives and that really trip people up in their own spiritual journey. And the first lie that he pointed out was, I am not enough. Mm. I am not enough. And obviously we know that in the face of God and as a sinful people, yeah, we're not enough and that Jesus' mercy just comes to us gratuitously. Um, and yet when we get into a trap of constantly comparing ourselves to others, when we're constantly surrounded with the Photoshop images of social media that are around us, mm-hmm. uh, when we constantly play the comparison game and get envious of all of our neighbors and friends, we constantly can beat ourselves up thinking, I am not enough. I just don't measure up to everybody else's exalted standard around me. Ever yeah. felt that way? Yes. <laughs> we all have, yeah. Yeah, and the more and more that young people, I think, articulate what a lot of people have already experienced about anxiety, right, or like propensity towards depression, and especially insecurity. I think we're, that's where a deeper understanding, and, and when they name that, when Monsignor Shea can name that, and this pre-evangelization work of kind of this cultural worldly detox that happens before there's really like a, a space for the word to be kind of implanted in our life and Jesus can really take root. That that place of insecurity, that place of anxiety, that place, so much of that is coming from this lie that you're talking about that I'm not enough, the self-sufficiency. I know it could be just a semantics thing sometimes, but I've always liked the distinction between guilt and shame that I've heard a different, you know. He actually put that in his talk. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't there for the talk. I was, yeah. you know, kind of running around talking to all these people. Um, 
guilt is a good thing. People talk about Catholic guilt all the time and think that, oh, because we have this big long list of sins, everything that a Catholic does makes them feel guilty and they go to confession, just wipes it away. Guilt is good because it helps us remember that like we are broken and we need a savior like we've talked about recently. But shame is where it gets really messy and that's where the evil one really likes to keep us. And that's the work of moving away from that shame. But guilt says I've done something wrong, but then shame really moves quickly into I am bad. Yeah. Right. My identity starts to change. Not from I'm a, I'm a beloved son of God who is not living in accord with my identity. Right. I'm actually living out of um, this place of brokenness. Right. Mm-hmm. So often in, in seminary formation, we talked about this kind of RIM relationship, identity, mission, that our identity, who we are, comes from our relationship with God, whose we are. And from that identity, can we do anything in the world? But too often, this idea that I'm not enough comes from trying to look at my mission first, what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, right? And so often we fail. So we're either sinning from pride or we're sinning from that kind of insecurity where we're just, we're so shriveled up in shame that there's no way to live out of that in any real missionary way. There's not a that would communicate that. So to come back, so often in seminary, we're just constantly coming back to what is our identity? Our identity as beloved children of God. Right. From that identity, we can do something in the world. Yeah, that's well said. Monsignor kind of pointed out that guilt is really attached to behavior and actions. Yes. We feel guilty when a standard was not met or a standard was broken. But the shame becomes much more personal. It's very existential. Uh, it has to do with I am worthless. I yes. am not enough. And I know you and I both experience this in spiritual direction with folks, but also certainly in confessional work. The amount of shame that people carry with them in this day and age is so heavy. I mean, you can just kind of read it on people's faces where they just think, I am worthless. In the context of self-sufficiency, right? Right. Where if I'm trying to be self-sufficient, I'm trying to just like do everything on my own. Right. And then I realize I'm not enough. Right. Then it's even more crippling. Right. Right. Yeah, and it becomes a vicious cycle. What's the kind of response to that lie then of I'm not enough? Right. Well, yeah, we'll come back to that. Oh, good, I, good. I, I wanna, Next lie. I want to kind of lay out the three lies yes, here. Good. Okay. The second lie that Monsignor Shea was pointing out in his talk here at Seek was that what I do doesn't matter. Um, you know, the, the, you can live, you can, well, you can interpret this line several ways. First of all, some people just live along this line that, well, all my actions really don't matter. You know, as long as I'm a good person, if I make mistakes here and there, well, it's okay. God will still let me into heaven. Well, yeah. no, that's not necessarily true. I mean, discipleship does come with a cost, and there's a there's a codified way to actually follow Jesus. It's called the Gospels, all right? Um, but there's also this, you could also fl- uh, flip the whole thing and look at it very positively to say, no, what I do does matter. Mm. Like, I'm actually meant for a glorified destiny, and therefore, the small actions of my daily life do impact a whole character development of my interior virtue, but also, it allows my daily life to be a reflection of God's glory if I'm really going to be one of his disciples. Like, what I do really does matter, not in terms of just my own personal judgment, but the good that I can bring into this world, the way that I can serve the church, the way that I can build up community around me, and the way that all of my words, thoughts, gestures, actions, deeds can all manifest the glory of God. So what I do does matter. And when we start to live like, oh, you know, I can just treat treat people this way and just kind of do my own thing and be me, well, you miss the ripple effect, the ripple effect that sin can cause, but also the great ripple effect that glory and virtue can have in the midst of our mm-hmm. culture. Uh, so you can look at that in, in multiple ways. Mm. Um, then, of course, the third um, lie that Monsignor Shea was pointing out is that I am all alone. Yeah. I am all alone. Nobody understands me. 
Nobody gets the pain, the shame, the regret, the guilt that I'm facing. Nobody can actually help me with this. And there won't be a, a sense of accountability nor authentic support that I continue to walk through. You and I would have heard uh, Bishop Conley of Lincoln, Nebraska, preach mm-hmm. yesterday mm-hmm. here at Seek at the large uh, daily mass. And in the midst of his homily, he gave a really moving and very vulnerable testimony of the fact that last year he had to take a leave of absence for 11 months from his diocese, step away from his administrative duties in his, in his home diocese, and really get treated for stress and depression because uh, he knew he was just on the verge of kind of burnt out and, and, and really uh, mental degradation. Yeah. And he shared with that all of us, with 17,000 young people there very vulnerably, and he was surrounded by about 25 bishops, and uh, you could have heard a pin drop in the room when he was talking about, I mean, how many bishops speak like this yeah. about their own medical and mental health and spiritual health needs? But then he went on to say that, you know, he just felt so much support. And he said, I'm back stronger than ever. And it was because of the health. He the, the healthiest he's ever been in his priesthood. Yeah, wasn't that stunning? Yeah. And he said it was because a spiritual director, of, a medical doctor, and a psychologist all helped him. And then he realized, I'm not alone. I don't have to be Superman. I don't have to take on all of my own pressures and then pressures of my diocese right. all by myself. That, that I think that was a, I don't think he went into his illness thinking he's all alone, but it was certainly a confirmation coming out of his recovery of how much support one actually can have when we acknowledge our own vulnerabilities and our limitations and we start reaching out for help. So these are just the three lies that Monsignor Shea pointed out. And we can kind of unpack them in terms, in terms of some practical applications and the, and the remedies to fight against those. Uh, but I, I was just really stunned at how succinctly he, he pointed that out and how so many of our speakers here at SEEK are doing some of this pre-evangelization work, getting it to some deeper questions of identity and personal hurt, personal shame, the lies that we might be uh, really bundled up in. And until we break through all that, it's going to be really hard to let the faith just sing in our lives. Yes, and so often, the desire to have a conversion can often be an intellectual conversion. It can be a spiritual conversion, but too often, I think I'm so grateful that my contemporaries in the priesthood and those who are raising their families, there is more of an awareness of the interior life. So things don't just become over-spiritualized, right? Well, the devil's just always tempted me toward things. Or things become, um, yeah, just like trying to fix yourself, right? Um or just trying to grow in the virtues, trying to grow in intellectual virtues. Okay, yeah, you can have orthodox teaching. Yeah, you can have like good liturgy and good spirituality. But what is my interior life? And what are these different either lies or truths that I'm believing, right? I think seminary formation has been doing this for a number of years now, at least in my time. It's really helpful. It's the formation I received. And now to see it on college campuses, right? And the hope then is that I can continue to permeate the church and really bring about a real renewal. Um, the question that I'm wondering for our listeners um, is to consider those lies. I'm not enough. What I do doesn't matter. And I'm all alone. Do those have kind of a foothold in your life? Do those have a place where they, they kind of take up space in your mind and your heart and they kind of distract often? I mean, we're masters of distraction, you know, as Father Hazing often says, our, you know, contemporary culture. When as seminarians, we're getting into silent retreat so much of the first days is almost that pre-evangelization, that detox from the distractions. But while we're so distracted, we, we often don't even pay attention to these, these things we might be believing. <clears throat> they might just kind of be in the background, you know. But if we become a little bit more attentive, yeah, where do you feel like you're not enough as a mother, as a father in your work? 
where do you feel like what you do doesn't actually matter? You know, I do these things in my parish. I do these things in my community. It doesn't seem like anything's going to change. Um, I volunteer for all these different things. It doesn't feel like anything's working, right? And then, like, yeah, I'm actually alone in all this. I think the best thing to ask in the midst of those lies, and not to just dwell there, is whose voice am I listening to, right? This is often said in spiritual formation is that we have our own voice. We have God's voice and the evil one's voice. I was just with a priest recently, uh, my friend Father Thomas and his pastor, who's had uh, spiritual direction training with Institute for Priesthood Formation. He said, very, uh, very frequently, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's very rarely just our own voice because the evil one uses that voice in our head, right? So those, those feelings, those thoughts, those lies, I'm not enough. The evil one can, can come in there, make that a place of shame, and then pull you away from God who says, no, like you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, and like you actually are enough like by my grace, right? On your own, you're not, you don't have anything, but with me, you have everything, and I'm here with you, you know? Um, what you do doesn't matter. Uh, no, Jesus is always knocking at the door of our heart. So in the small ways, we can just open up the doors to let him in, to invite him in. No, that, that always does something, you know? And then for him to remind us that he's with us. And, and when you say that we should identify very clearly whose voice is speaking, is it our voice, is it the evil one's voice, is it the Lord's voice, not only do we want to uh, try and identify the voice who's speaking in all of that, but when we look at lies of our lives, I think we also want to say who's defining the terms among those voices. Mm. So, for example, that first lie is, I am not enough. Well, who's defining what enough is? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The world, you. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, is it? Is it television? Is it social media with photoshopped images? Mm. Uh, is it what your neighbors are doing with perhaps more money or more time or more resources in some regard? Um, An idealized kind of idea of financial security or something for right. yourself or your family, right? Yeah, like ask yourself, I am not enough. Well, whose who's definition of <laughs> enough is this? I mean, for a household who's dealing with someone with maybe a chronic illness, um, for a household who's dealing with unemployment, um, you know, you, the list could go on and on yeah. and on. Who's defining enough? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and how are they defining enough? And is that of God? There's both yeah. the standard and the voice. Um, I think you have to really kind of break down and not to kind of try and overly, you know, psychologize your yeah. life, so yeah. to speak, but just to ask some basic questions like, okay, I don't feel like I'm enough. Well, why? And who says so? Yeah. You know? Father Ralph O'Donnell, who's a priest of Omaha, was my uh, vice rector at Conception College Seminary. And he was my formator right before he went to the OCCB to help, well, right, the PPF6 that we're now trying to implement in the seminaries. I was experiencing my own insecurities, right, of just, like, comparison to my classmates or just, like, these different ideals I thought this is what a seminary should look like, this is what intellectual, this is my intellectual formation, my, my growth – and he brought the scriptural line from Genesis. It was so beautiful. When God finds Adam and Eve hiding in the garden after they've sinned, he has a beautiful line in Genesis. He says, who says you were naked? Mm-hmm. Who said you were naked? Right. Who, who brought that shame into your life? Like, who right. said? I didn't say. I didn't bring that shame. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. say you weren't enough. I didn't say you were, you were ugly, you were bad. I never brought that in here. Like, mm-hmm. who's saying that, you know? So I, I just, that was so helpful for me. It, it still remains helpful. Who said, who said you're naked, right? Mm-hmm. I look at you and I see my beloved children, right? So to start have, having those new eyes that Jesus can give us through his grace to, to not be caught up in, this, in these lies and the shame. Mm-hmm. And I would also hope for all of our listeners just listening to this podcast, uh, at least through the context of this episode, and even if our voices are coming through the internet and we're not physically in the same room, I would hope there's some reassurance to say you're not alone. Right. Just even in listening to this podcast, you're not alone. 
through the means of technology, we can support one another, you know, just through this, this great gift of podcasting. And that should just be one small fraction of a larger sense of a civic community and parish community, church community, family community um, that would really help buttress and reemphasize that we are, in fact, not alone. And that this is a pilgrim people all trying to support one another as we move towards the glory of God. Um, so, Father, these are just kind of some initial thoughts uh, on, on Father Monsignor Shea's talk, thoughts that we can continue to unpack. Uh, it's been really good to be with you here this week, uh, broadcasting from St. Louis, uh, doing these recordings, meeting a lot of different people, but really being inspired with a great sense of hope uh, that things are alive and well in the church. And we've got an awful lot to be grateful for. So coming to you from the SEAT Conference, thanks for tuning in. And Father Travis, good to be with you. God bless you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.